0: Welcome to the Be Real, Get Real podcast from Women's Prosperity Network. Real women sharing real stories about their ups, their downs, their journey, and their transformations. Through these stories, we'll explore what it takes to have the courage to speak your truth, follow your passion, and be the change you want to see in the world. And now, let's get started with today's show. All right, and welcome to the Be Real, Get Real podcast. I am your host, Nancy Matthews, one of the founders of Women's Prosperity Network. And this podcast is about real women sharing real stories of their journeys, their ups, their downs, and their successes as they seek to make a greater impact in the world. Not only seek to, but are actually making a greater impact in the world. Today's guest is Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville, who I just recently met over the last six months. And it feels like we've known each other a really long time, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. Yeah. And that's how alignment works, right? When people are, you know, in the right zone. I, I kind of refer to it as meeting people who are in your soul group. Like, you know, that we're all meant to connect. To bring our gifts and talents. And uh, that's definitely the way it's felt with you. So I'm so grateful that you could be here with us for the podcast today.
1: Yeah, I'm delighted. It really is. And it's true. When you meet somebody who's in sync with your mission, yeah. it just feels because you've been together on that journey for so long, even yeah. if you didn't know
0: it. Yeah. Ooh, I love the way you said that. So true. So true. Well, let me uh, share a little bit about your background with our audience so they can get to start to get to know you. And then we'll dive into the discussion today, which is walking through the fire from unwanted to high demand. And uh, Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville is a leadership expert. She's an author. She has been guiding companies, individuals, executives, uh, to living and leading their best lives. And I'm not gonna go too deep into her story. I'd rather she share that with you herself. So let's just dive right in. you share that you began your first few years in an orphanage. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I did. I was raised in an orphanage in Boston uh, for a few years, and was later adopted then by a man who married my birth mother. And he did. He's very Irish and didn't believe that Irish children belonged in orphanages, so he adopted me and brought me home much to the consternation of my mother and her mother. So he lived with my mother my mother and her mother and an older brother. And I was in an orphanage because I was the product of an affair. Mm. And these two women did not believe illegitimate children belong in a good Irish Catholic home. So I wasn't allowed to live in the house even though I had been adopted. So he would get me up at 5.30 in the morning, put me in a playpen, feed me breakfast, put me in a playpen and leave me there in a sunsuit suit or a, a snowsuit. And in the season until nine thirty at night when my grandmother went to bed and then he'd come out and get me bring me in and give me dinner and put me to bed again and i'd get up in the morning have breakfast and so what, she never saw me in the house i was out before she woke up and didn't come back in until she she went to bed and, and when I-, I was six she went into
0: a nursing home so i was then allowed to live in that house wow yeah. i can't even imagine you know, they say and we know to be true that those early years between birth and six or seven are, are formative years. It's when we make the decisions about who we are and our value and if the world is safe or unsafe. I I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you. I mean, when you're going through it, you don't know anything different. So right. can you speak to a little bit about how that impacted you?
1: Well, I would say to you that children are far more astute. Than we tend to give them credit for that I was aware Obviously, I didn't have the terminology, but I was aware very early that my life was literally in my hands I was we were living in a housing projects and the housing projects of South Austin, and every housing project has a front stoop and so my playpen was placed just to the right of the front stoop and so I would be there watching the children play watching these women sit on the front steps and really um, a byproduct of housing projects. It's it's lots of domestic violence mm-hmm. there because of the stress, financial stress, lots of and addictions, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction, whatever the case may be. So it was very violent, addictive environment, you know, with gangs on every street corner and so forth. And I just remember being a child, looking at these women thinking, they don't need to live like this. Mm. There is an acceptance of this reality as if they shouldn't want or expect more, you know? And I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm going to help them. Someday
0: I'm going to help them. Wow. And how old are you at this point where you're having these thoughts? I'm four or five, six years old. And I had no clue. I didn't know the term social worker.
1: I didn't realize social workers went to college. I never knew a woman who had ever gone to college. I knew maybe two or three people in my attire. Years until I was a senior in high school who'd been to college. This just wasn't something I knew of because it just wasn't of my economic reality. And um, I thought I'd be a social worker not knowing you go to college to do that. And realized I couldn't. And then when I applied to school, my parents insisted that the boys get an education. You don't waste money on girls. And so the boys oh, yeah. would go to college, girls couldn't. So I said, well, I'll go to nursing school. And I applied, but because I went to an unaccredited inner city high school. No nursing school in the United States could accept me, so nursing school was out of the question. And so I needed uh, to either accept, my mother said, become a waitress, mm-hmm. marry Michael, the boy I was dating, and then have your children and stay home and raise them. And that would be your script. Now, marrying Michael was perfectly fine. That's just what you do. You graduate from high school in May get married in June. That would be fine, but I wanted more in addition to that. Mm-hmm. And realized it couldn't be nurse school, it couldn't be college. And so I realized that to do the work I wanted to do of empowering women to know they had choices, the one group that I saw could do that was the group of Catholic nuns that I went to high school with. And so I chose to apply to become a Catholic nun. So I applied to communities all over new all wait, over. Wait, wait. The- this
0: <laughs> is after you got married?
1: No, this was I never got married. I never got married oh. to that
0: person. Oh, so
1: okay. It, so I had a choice of marrying him and having 20 children
0: or finding a way to get out. Right. And so let me pause for a second because as you're sharing this 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 story of your experience of growing up, what what I'm hearing is very early on as you were sitting in that playpen looking out, there was a piece of you that was connected to something that told you there must be another way. Must be. And I believe all children know this. Mm.
1: They only develop limited thinking because adults. Because of us. (laughs) In a limited fashion you know children are left you know young children are going to be whatever they're going to be astronauts they're going to be presidents. they're going to whatever it may be Yeah, active wild imaginations right let it go let it let it go they will find where they belong where they where they chose to be on this planet as they continue their journey they'll discover that for themselves we need to let them recognize
0: anything is possible if they're willing to pay the price as opposed to what happens, and so we'll dive into this for just a moment, and then we'll get back to your story. Um, as opposed to what happens, so as an adult, you've been through disappointments, failures, things that didn't, didn't work out, and then you have a child saying, I'm going to do this. And based upon your history, you then say to the child, oh, don't get your hopes up. You know, get down to earth. Just do this, this, and this, much like your mom saying Um, you know, get married, you know, stop trying to get into nursing school. Stop trying to just, just get married and have kids. Yeah. Because her history and experience, not only that's what you did, that's what had her feel safe and protected rather than constant disappointment. So I think that's part of the process too that happens is one disappointment says, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want to be disappointed again. So why should I even try? Right though, but dreaming and, and expanding, failing is part of the journey.
1: Right. And yeah. I, my point of reference is energy. And every time you have permission to have a dream, you expand your energetic footprint. Mm-hmm. Every time you have a dream, you see yourself energetically in a much greater place. And if we're going to achieve everything we've come here to do, we need to have
0: that huge energetic footprint.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: That's it. No, yeah. write that down, everyone, <laughs> no, because that's what we, expansion, more.
1: And Always yeah. expand your energetic footprint if you want to achieve everything you've come here to do. Yeah,
0: beautiful. So did
1: you become a nun? So I did. I applied to become a nun here in the United States and <laughs> found out that no community in the United States could accept me, because in the United States, you could not be an illegitimate child and enter religious life. Oh my God. And goodness. I share this with you just so we can see, and as women, we need to get this. We are always told, frequently told, you can't. Mm. And my thought is okay, I'm not going to fight you, but I will absolutely walk right around you and just keep right on going. I'm not going to waste my time fighting
0: you. That yeah. is awesome. I won't fight you, and I'll walk right around you and keep on going. Yeah. That is probably the best advice that we can all take, you know, one of the pieces from this conversation today, because find another way. It goes back to that core thing, belief you had, there must be another way. Okay, you tell me, no, I could fight you and risk losing, or I could just find another way.
1: Find another way. Find another way. You know, and I grew up with such an extremely violent father that, you know my dream was to be adopted by one of the doctors in the emergency room because violence was just a way of life that i knew and i knew i would never ever be that violent person mm-hmm. there's another way to do this and i'm not doing it you know so you we have choices and we're back into mindfulness at what point do we develop the gift of mindfulness you know initially it's a practice mm-hmm. and eventually you stop practicing mindfulness and you just live mindfully and it's a very different way of doing life and when you can live in a state of mindfulness and yes we leave it all of us leave it but when it's your default you come right back you leave and come right back to a default of mindfulness so i did that and so i entered i so i couldn't do it and i finally one of my teachers said to me in high school are you going to join the convent and i said nobody will let me in i guess i'm going to marry michael and have 20 kids i don't know how else to do this and she said give me a chance and she and my parish priest wrote to a thousand communities around the globe to see if anybody would take an illegitimate child from an orphanage and they found one community in quebec because those french you know they're much more lenient in all of this so they said sure they were under the bishop they weren't under the pope because the pope's directive was no illegitimate children but this particular bishop in Quebec said sure let's bring her in so I joined a French Canadian community Wow And was sent to the missions which I thought was quite funny I thought it would be in Africa but it was in Maine because Maine is filled with French Canadians so they sent me to the missions of Maine where I went through my novitiate my question the novitiate my junior eight and so forth before becoming a religious nun and I became a social worker and it's funny when you have a long black habit on Mother Superior called our local college, which is now the University of New England, but it was St. Francis College at the time in Maine. And Mother said, I'm sending these sisters over, six of us, and I'm sending these sisters over to get an undergraduate degree. Well, when Mother Superior says it, you know, with her hands in her sleeves and says, this is what I'm doing, nobody really uh, went against her. So once you have an undergraduate degree, nobody really cares where you went to high school. And so from the gift of, and, and I believe our lives, every time we take a risk, I think we give permission to spirit, whatever our faith system, to the universe, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. When every time we take a risk, we give permission for spirit to say, all right, the doors have opened. And I more and more opportunity. Somehow you meet all the right people that weren't there when you were indecisive. I don't know, should I, shouldn't I? Take a risk and go for it because doors open everywhere for you. Beautiful. And what happened
0: is- um, well, I, hold, on, hold on one second. I just want to comment on that last piece because I think what happens is when you are in indecision, fear, or doubt, it actually clouds your vision.
1: Absolutely. So imagine
0: if we're wearing glasses uh, and the, the, the glasses of hope, possibility, and faith, that's clear that allows me to see all of the different ways that the universe would conspire in our favor. When right. my glasses are fogged and covered with fear worry and doubt, I can't see those opportunities. They're there. Right. But the fear and worry or doubt just kind of clouds over so you can't see. It's like, you know, if you're if there's an, if I'm in a boat and it's foggy and cloudy, I can't see that there's land. 100 feet away from me if it's that thick it's the same thing we clear the fog and then you can see the opportunities
1: and and this and for the point of reference of energy that um when you don't have that that doubt and all of that your energy is like this you're alive you're vibrant and your expansion is there when you go into doubt and fear and confusion, you become energetically so small that things could be floating right by you and you don't even experience them. With this much expanded, I'm alive, My, I, I'm living the I am, with mm-hmm. that I am, and you sense everything that's going on around you. So you will notice things that you didn't even sense when your field was so small in the world of doubt and
0: fear confusion so good I suspect I suspect we could talk for hours (laughs) hours, (laughs) and I know I keep I keep wanting to say no let's talk about that I'm guessing you'll be back on the show
1: (laughs) I would love it and I'm wide open as we we talked off camera these things go the way they go the yeah. way they go, the way the way they land.
0: Yeah. When we try when we can just operate from that space of trust, and that's what we both did. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you did become a nun, went, got your undergraduate, became a social worker. I'm, I'm, I don't see you in a black habit, so I'm imagining you're mm-hmm. no longer serving. No, no,
1: it was No, thank, thank you, Lord. No, um, I was there for a while, and eventually uh, left. I moved to Manhattan, and I thought I haven't seen the world when you live in a religious life. We had no newspapers, no magazines, no TV, no radio. When I left, I went out to the world and thought I don't even know what's going on out here. I left when we used to roll our skirts up to let the bottoms of our knee shows, and we were sex symbols. It looked like we were pregnant with all this bunched up <laughs> skirting for the bottom of our knee shows, so somehow we were sexy. Yeah. And now I come out and it's micro-minis, you know. So I entered and left very different worlds, and I thought I want to see the world I left. So I moved to Manhattan, became an international airline stewardess, and flew over a million miles around the world Oh! while I reintroduced myself to the world. And you see the choices you make, they seem as if it's for this period of my life, but everything we do is preparation for what's coming forward in the rest of your life. We don't see it because we're not there yet. But when you look back, you see every decision I made, every choice I made was prepared me for this. Even the not not so good choices. Even the not, what did I learn from that? Exactly. Exactly. Or what did I choose not to learn from that? So I had to do it again and again and again till I finally got it. That's another conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, let's transition to what you're doing now, uh, what your focus is and how people can get in touch with you.
1: That we, we, certainly because what, ha- what happened with all that after like leaving religious they, life leaving they, I stopped being a student, got married, had children and then in the midst of a divorce after 15 years, I had a kindergarten and a fourth grader thought I will never raise my children in the projects. what am I going to do? Again, this is a huge question what am I going to do with my life? and who is it that I choose to become? Two hugely different questions, but both extremely important. Mm -hmm. Went on, got a master's um, in therapy, opened up a psychotherapy practice, and um, was blessed, was told you'll never have more than 20 people. There's a lot of therapists in Connecticut. Within three months, I was seeing 42 patients a week and had a six-month waiting list for over 17 years. Wow. When you follow your passion, something I'm reiterating that you said earlier, you follow your passion, you have no idea what the potential is we did that it was a therapist for many years um eventually noticed patterns in my business where um patients coming in with the same diseases had the same personality and was really intrigued by that went on and developed studied nine got certified in nine different modalities in very health ended up opening up a school i had a healing school before it was a four-year program for 19 years teaching a method of energy medicine i created And then my son graduated from high school, went to Cornell, and I decided I'm highly successful, whatever that means. I had four companies I founded at that point, but was unhappy. So I left the United States. I moved to Anguilla in the British West Indies and lived in the West Indies for 10 years and had wonderful executives, directors running my businesses here. And would come back every two months, teach at my school, and then go home again. Hmm. And eventually, I was asked to come back to America. Um, after 10 years, and the co chair of the vice board of the multi million dollar grant, Yukon Medical, who receive a plenty of medicine. Came back, oversaw energy medicine research across the country, received 50,000 to do research on my work with fibro myasha patients. Wow. And did a doctoral dissertation on the psychological and spiritual causes of physical disease and disorders. And recognized that our physical health is in our hands as much as our spiritual journey and our emotional intelligence. Oh. So when I came back, decided to do therapy part-time, oversaw the school, oversaw energy medicine, and finally realized America had changed dramatically in the 10 years I was gone. And therapy wasn't feeding me anymore. And I felt called to move into something else and recognized that many of the patients who were coming to see me for therapy truly didn't need therapy. They were in leadership positions without an idea of how to lead. So I went, became certified as a um, executive leadership coach and then started working with men and women and how to develop effective leadership skills. Because to me, leadership is a spiritual calling. Yeah, agree. Every one of us on this planet are called to. Yeah, Not all yeah. of us own that, but that we're all called to. And have now the past 15 years or so become an executive leader, leadership coach, consultant, confidant for women and men, but mostly women in leadership to allow them to become
0: the best of who they are as
1: leaders and as women.
0: What a rich and robust journey. And it the thread that I see common from the time you were a young child through today, right. as you continue to develop, is you're always looking and saying there must be another way there must be a better way like even as you were sharing the story about your practice and then you noticed so you created a school and then you noticed that the people that were coming they didn't really need therapy they needed like you're always at that question seems to drive you right beautiful yeah. beautiful
1: thinking out of the box
0: is is truly
1: it's it's part of what I bring to the table I what that. I and, and I think it's important for women to know this what do you bring to the table what and, and it's not not just your body, not your looks, not your degrees. God bless. It's not the degrees. What do you bring to the table? And for me, through this journey, what I've learned is nothing is impossible unless you believe it is. Like, often, yeah? How often are told it can't happen? Nothing is impossible, and and my. It's not even a desire. It's just who I am, thinking out of the box, problem solving, supporting visionary leaders by thinking out of the box. And there's 10 different ways to look at this. Let's explore some of
0: those. So thank you so much, Dr. Dorothy. And if you're um, not asking yourself these questions, this is to my audience. If you're not asking yourself these questions, there, there must be another way. How can I think out of the box? What do I bring to the table? Uh, you need to get in touch and work with Dr. Dorothy. And you can go to, I believe it's Ask Dr. Dorothy, AskDRDorothy.com, is that correct?
1: Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing your heart, your spirit, and your journey with us, your real stories. And I know there's lots more within that, so we'll definitely want to have you back on the show. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I'd love it. Thanks so much for this. My pleasure and my purpose. And uh, that's a wrap for this episode of the Be Real, Get Real podcast. We'll be back next week with another amazing story of an extraordinary woman making a big difference in the world. Until next time, this is Nancy Matthews. Get out there and be the one who makes a difference in your circle, in your community, and in our world. Have a great day, everybody. Bye, Dr. Dorothy. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Be Real, Get Real podcast from Women's Prosperity Network, the place where impact-driven women shine as they make a positive difference for their families, their communities, and the world at large. Be sure to visit womensprosperitynetwork.com to tap into the power, resources, and connections this extraordinary community provides that's it for today. I'm your host, Nancy Matthews, and until next time, make it a magical day.